You may have heard it many times as I have. Perspective is everything. Say it with me. Perspective is everything. And I believe that's true in many ways. Here are some examples. Here's a rare new dog breed. Yes, isn't that interesting? And here's another strange uh, dog breed. Uh, And have you ever seen a wedding cake dress? I mean, what a picture is that? Talk about perfect. Um, Or maybe uh, I might catch you nodding off this morning and dreaming of chicken sandwiches. (laughs) I just think the timing, I mean, that's just perfect. Somebody caught that. Or we've all heard that methane gas can be dangerous. (laughs) Yes, a cow on fire, unbelievable. Anyway, sometimes we lose perspective in life and we need to see things in a different light and we need to see things at a different angle. For instance, this man standing by a tree, looking out over that beautiful lake. Perspective is anything, is everything. Turn the same picture and we see reality. It's a man laying down on a fallen tree, (laughs) looking up into the sky. Sometimes you and I lose perspective in life. And we get things backwards and upside down and we need to be reminded to see things in a different light and look at things from a different angle. And that's just what Jesus is going to help me and you do this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 38. We're going to learn lessons about perspective in life, and we're going to see this in our fourth message in learning how to simplify. So read along with me Luke chapter 10, and if you, at any time you come into our church, you've forgotten your Bible, they're always on the back tables back there, so we encourage you to pick one up. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about what? So many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Perspective on life and living. Here's the first thing that I'm taught in this passage My house is not my house. Say it with me My house is not my house. Now, now Jesus is traveling. He, he, he has this itinerant ministry. And we see this back in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. He's going from one city and village to another, and he's proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the 12 disciples are with him. And we see it in this passage in Luke 10, 38. They're traveling along. He enters a village. So he's going from town to town. He's preaching, he's ministering, and he's traveling with all of his disciples. I want you to understand this. Jesus is homeless, He is a homeless man. He does not have a home. In his conversation in the previous chapter, chapter 9, as they're going along the road, and someone comes up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says what? The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even have a hole in the ground. That's your Savior. He didn't own a bed. He didn't even own a mattress. 
your Savior is homeless. He relied on others for help, for support, for food, for shelter. Isn't it interesting? The one that could command coins to come out of the mouth of a fish relied on the generosity and love of people. We see also common among his companions in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, many others who were contributing to their support out of their own private means. He relied on the people of God who served God. Hospitality has always played an important role in life and ministry. Hospitality is that important. We see it in the Old Testament with the Shunammite woman providing for the prophet Elijah, and she says to her husband in 2 Kings 4, Behold, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually, and let us, please let us make a little walled-up upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, and it shall be when he comes to us. He can turn in there, and one day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. For some churches, it was called a prophet's chamber where they would put people. We see the importance of hospitality in the New Testament. The disciples relied on hospitality as Jesus sent them out in pairs in in Luke chapter 10, verse 5 and 7. Whatever house you enter first, peace be to this house. That's what you say. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. And so Jesus is practicing what he told the others to practice. You go from village to village and you rely on the people of God. And they come to this town called Bethany. It's about two to three miles from Jerusalem. And you may say, how do we know it's Bethany? John 11, verse 1. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So Jesus is traveling, he comes to this town, and Martha says, welcome. She welcomed him into her home. Her hospitality is to be commended, and we are to learn from her. The importance of opening your home with an attitude of warmth and welcome. You know what she has? She has a home entertainment center, not that. She understands that her home is to be used for the glory of God to entertain others, to take care of people, to show a gracious warmth and welcome. My home is not my home. Your home is not your home. Learn to open up your heart and learn to open up your home. Luke 18 would tell us, verse 29, that those who left houses for the sake of the kingdom, they will receive many times as homes in this life. We share each other's things. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the things we share are our homes, the homes that God has given us to share. Our home is a tool for hospitality. Open up your home. You can use it for five-day clubs to reach children for Christ. You can use it for missionaries who are traveling through. From time to time, we have missionaries who come up here and we interview them and they have their table out there and they set up. Sign up to open up your home and house our missionaries. Your home is not your home. Invite families over. Invite groups of teenagers. My wife and I, we had about 10 teenagers over last night from our son's school. Just having the run of the place. We provided pizza for them. Open up your home. Our homes, a life group. How's a life group? Invite people over. 
your home is not your home. It's the Lord's home. Jesus is invited in with this gracious, kind, warm, generous woman doing so. And in this home, he will find refreshment and rest and nourishment and sustenance. But it's not just Jesus. It's 12 grown men with Jesus. And they're needing accommodations. And maybe she can't fit them all. Maybe they go to some of the neighbors, but they're there. And they're needing food. And they're needing to use the bathroom. And who knows what else is going on as all the neighbors hanging outside, peering in your windows, trying to see Jesus, showing up at your front door, asking questions about Jesus. I want you to understand, hospitality is a wonderful thing that God commends. Learn to practice hospitality. We see this during the final judgment when the sheep are separated from the goats. God commends hospitality. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? What, what, what makes God recognize these people. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you what? You invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer, when, 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 when did we do all these things? And the king will say in verse 40, he will answer, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of these, you did it to who? You did it to me. You know, one of the ways that God recognizes godliness is hospitality. Would the Lord recognize you as godly? Do you invite people in? Do you clothe people? Do you feed people? Do you provide for people? Do you visit people? Or are you really not that godly? Are you really just not that godly? Because my money's my money, and my home's my home, and my car's my car, and my clothes are my clothes. I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand what godliness is. What you own is not yours. It's to be shared with others, including your home. It's commended. Hospitality is, even with a surprise in store, hearkening back to Abraham in Genesis 18 and 19. In Hebrews 13, 2, it's recorded. Do not neglect to show hospitality to who? Strangers. Not just your closest friends and families, members. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. It's commended as something to do consistently in Romans 12, 13. Practicing hospitality. It's not a, okay, one and done type of thing. It's a lifestyle. It's how you and I are to live. It's commended as a qualification for spiritual leadership. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's pastor, that's elder, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be what? Hospitable. I want you to notice hospitality is not just for women. 
Some of you have this, this wrong idea. Well, that's something women do. They open up the home, and they clean the home, and they provide for people, and they... Sh- no, 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 guys. Hospitality is something for you and I to do as well. Again, in Titus 1.7, for the overseers, pastors, elders, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but what? Hospitable. So spiritual leaders, it's a qualification. It's a requirement for those going into ministry. That's how important hospitality is. Our homes are an extension of God's work. Our possessions are God's to be used. By the way, the same thing is true of God's house. My prayer is that when visitors come in here, guests come in here, they feel so welcomed. That's why we have a, a, a welcome ministry, a first impressions, a first touch ministry. Maybe some of you, that just resonates. You'd love to go out there and greet people and get to know people and walk them down. If they're brand new, they walk in this church, they don't know where to go, what to do. And you can say, let me take you down to the children's wing. Let me show you where you can check your, your child in for nursery. What, what questions could I take you? I may not know the answers, but I can take you to somebody who does. Those who work out in the parking lot. What a great ministry. Just, you're the first face they see. People coming in. Jesus is traveling. He's homeless, depending on others. Martha is welcoming. Hospitality is commended. And I want you to notice something about hospitality. It always goes with love. Always. In the context of love, Romans 12, 9 through 13, let love be without hypocrisy. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What? Practicing hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. It's in the context of love. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without no. All three of those are in the context of love. And we know the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. Because we love people, we share. Because we love people, we open up our homes. Perspective on life and living. My home is not my home. Here's a second thing that I learned from this. Don't let the pressure of preparation ruin the party. (laughs) Say that with me. Don't let the pressure of preparation ruin the party. And Martha, we read in verse 40, is distracted in all the preparations, and she comes up to the Lord. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. She is overwhelmed, and I guess so. This is Jesus staying in your house. This isn't just anybody. I mean, you want everything to be perfect. This, there's no one more special. I mean, he's healing the sick and raising the dead and feeding thousands and thousands with a sack lunch. And this is the long-awaited, promised Messiah, the anointed one. I, I mean, talk about making sure everything's set to go. But it's not just Jesus. Y- you got 12 grown men. And the house has got to be cleaned, and the food has got to be prepared, and the table's got to be set, and drinks have to be poured. And when is the last time you housed 13 grown men? There's a lot that would need to be done. And, And her hospitality is commendable, but she's over her head. Some of you here this morning are over your heads, you are overwhelmed. You are so distracted. 
there's so much you have to do and you're trying so hard and you're just drowning in all the details and distractions. At home, there's the cooking and the cleaning and the projects and the bills and the kids. And at work, there's phone calls and forms and clients and deadlines. And then there's extracurricular activities with sports and school and errands and running everywhere. You are overwhelmed. And you know what? It starts to take its toll emotionally when we're overwhelmed. And for Martha, it's taking its toll emotionally. She starts to feel sorry for herself. No one seems to care. Life isn't fair. Lord, do you not care? And this sweet spirit of hospitality suddenly sours in self-pity. That's what self-pity will do. It'll sour our once sweet spirits. I'm all alone. Cleaning alone, prepping alone, serving alone. And no one is there to help me. So it's starting to take its toll emotionally and now it starts to take its toll relationally. That's what happens when you and I are overwhelmed. We start lashing out at those around us. Enough is enough. She comes up to him. Every time she looks over at sweet Mary, sweet Mary sitting by Jesus, sweet Mary doing nothing, sweet Mary. I I mean, she's just sitting there and she's getting hotter and hotter and she's reaching her boiling point and the teapot just blows and she starts whistling at everybody. You know what happens when people are distracted You know what happens with distracted drivers? They cause accidents. And you know what she starts? She starts running people over with her poor attitude. Her poor attitude quickly morphs into an angry attitude. And some of you are here this morning. You started to run people over with your poor attitude. You started to just run your spouse over. And you start running your kids over and you start running, you're just running people over with your poor attitude and you're running people over with your angry attitude because you're filled with self-pity. That's why you're angry. All of a sudden we see this gracious warmth has turned into angry heat. And when you're overwhelmed, you, f- you become an ogre. This is what you look like. <clears throat> And then she's feeling sorry for herself. She's all alone, and now she begins to play the blame game. When you play the blame game, you always lose. We never win when we play the blame game. Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? And we do the same thing when we're overwhelmed. We blame our spouse, and we blame our parents, and we blame our kids. Oftentimes... We completely forget to blame ourselves. As a matter of fact, she did, the, she did this to herself. Mary didn't force her to do all this. Jesus didn't ask her to do all this. The only person she has to blame is who? Herself. And oftentimes, the only person we have to blame is ourselves. 
She gets real bossy next. And she approaches Jesus. Oh boy. She comes up to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to do all the serving alone? Then you tell her to help me. She goes after the Lord. Listen, I want to teach you a Yiddish word this morning. It's shutzpah. Okay. It's from the Hebrew chutzpah. It it means shameless audacity. This woman's got shutzpah is what she's got. Even the Lord isn't off limits. And it just teaches me an emotionally charged woman is a dangerous thing. Not even Jesus is safe. (laughs) Be careful around an emotionally charged woman. The Lord isn't even safe. I mean, she's mad at Jesus, blaming Jesus, frustrated with Jesus. Do something, Jesus. Make my sister help me. You can walk on water. You can make her help me. You can feed 5,000 people. You can make her help me. You can raise the dead. You can raise her off her keister. Make her help me, Lord. It teaches me some lessons, teaches us some lessons. Here's one. Hospitality isn't hospitality when it's filled with whining and complaining. Hospitality is just not hospitality when it's filled with whining and complaining. 1 Peter 4, 9. Say it with me. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Oh, the house has to be cleaned again and costs so much and all the food and no one's offered to help me and no one appreciates all the work I did. That's not hospitality. Martha would eventually learn true hospitality. A couple more chapters over in John 12. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover would come to Bethany again, where Lazarus was, whom he raises from the dead. And so they made him a supper there. And Martha was what? Serving. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. No complaints. She's just serving. That's hospitality. Here's something else that I learned. If serving the Lord makes us bitter and difficult to live with, something is wrong with our service. If serving the Lord is making us bitter and difficult to live with, something's wrong with us and our service. And and listen carefully. We may be too focused on serving the Lord instead of sitting with the Lord. It's not just about serving the Lord. You know that whole insert there and all the areas to serve? Yes, you and I need to serve the Lord. But yes, you also need to be sitting at the feet of the Lord. I love how Warren Wearsby said it. Few things are as as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Jesus without taking the time to commune with Jesus. As a pastor, I can fall into that trap. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we can all fall into that trap. We know it's important to serve the Lord, to sign up, to do things, to, to, to use our spiritual gifts. But we also need to know we've got to be sitting with Jesus as well. Perspective on life and living. My home is not my home. Secondly, don't let the pressure of preparation ruin the party. Here's a very important one. Number three, choose essentials over extras. Say it with me. Choose essentials over extras. The Lord is going to answer her. He's going to answer with a calming voice of reason. Listen carefully. Listen 
to calming voices of reason. In other words, don't listen to your husband and kids. No, that's not what I said. (laughs) Listen to calming voices of reason. The Lord has such a beautiful response. But this is not it. Martha! Martha! That's not how he answers. What in the world is wrong with you, woman? That's not how he answers. Get a hold of yourself. Who do you think you are? How dare you address me with that tone? It's the last time I'm staying in your house, woman. That's, that's not how he answers. You know what Jesus shows us? That even when someone speaks wrong, we can respond right. Even when someone close to us is speaking wrong, we can respond right. Even when someone is on edge, we can keep our composure. Let me give you a very important verse. Memorize this verse. Proverbs 15.1, say it with me. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Answer gently when someone comes at you. You don't have to go back at him. Jesus doesn't go after her. He could have. Harsh word stirs up anger. You, you don't need to stir things up. Jesus' response is calm and reassuring. Martha, Martha, no anger, no frustration, no accusation. I think the Lord would use the same tone with you and the same tone with me. Scott, Scott, Joe, Joe, Sue, Sue, Chris, Chris, my child, my child, you're worried and you're bothered about so many things. So I think we need to listen to calming voices of reason and then listen carefully. We need to listen to the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. Here's the truth. You are worried and bothered about so many things. You know what the truth is? You are the problem. You are the problem, not the meal. You are the problem, not the housework. You are the problem, not the guests. You are the problem, not your husband. You are the problem, not your wife. You are the problem, not your children. You are the problem, certainly not God, not the Lord. You are worried about so many things. You are bothered about so many things. Here's the truth. You chose to add the extras. You chose to make this bigger and fancier than it needed to be. You chose to cram your schedule full. You you chose to charge ahead and do it alone, whether people were going to help you or not. You, you chose to do everything now when it didn't have to be all done now. That's the truth. You are the problem. I am the problem. Not others, not things, and certainly not God. You are worried and bothered about so many things. There's too much on your mind. You got too much on your plate. 
It's time for you to learn not to take so much on. It's time for you to learn to simplify. It's time for you to go to God in prayer first, whether this is something you should do or not. I I think it's also time to recognize that sometimes our problem is pride and perfectionism. Sometimes it's trying too hard to impress people or taking complete control of every single detail not being willing to let go of things or delegate. Sometimes it's trying too hard to make sure everything is perfect. Everything does not have to be perfect. And everything does not have to be done right now. Listen carefully. Choose, you need to learn to choose the necessary to alleviate anxiety. Choose the necessary Leave the others to alleviate the anxiety. Minimize the least important. Maximize the most important. Minimize what's least important. Maximize what's most important. Listen, the house doesn't have to be spotless. The food doesn't have to be a seven-course meal. Your family's not going to starve. Listen, blame me for the bread and water you serve them tonight. Your clothes don't have to be pressed perfectly, match perfectly, with the perfect style. My wife woke up this morning, you know, and we were in the kitchen together, and she looked at me. She said, didn't you wear that last week? She was gone the week with my son out of state when I announced to the congregation, I'm going to be wearing the same thing every day of this series. It was real simple when I went in the closet this morning. You know what it was for some of you? I don't know what to wear. You took 10 minutes looking in your closet trying to figure out the way, and then you changed three times. 30 seconds, baby, done. (laughs) Your hair and your makeup doesn't have to be perfect. The lawn doesn't have to be perfect, guys. Every line just right. Doesn't have to be perfect. I have a college student who's got some perfectionistic tendencies, like his mom. Yeah. And, and I watched him pack the car to go to college. Everything is just perfect. I mean, box right here fits perfect. Right. He hung his clothes. This is how they looked. Everything was exactly the same space when he hung his shirts. Facing the right way, perfectly everything. Guess what he's getting at college? A roommate. Yeah. (laughs) Reality, baby. (laughs) Rough edges will be smoothed. Something else to consider. Here's something else to consider. Did Mary ever stop and think that maybe Jesus didn't want a big feast? Sometimes we consider others, but we don't consider others. We're really considering ourselves. And that's where pride comes in. Jesus is on the way to the cross. Jesus is thinking about death. Do you really think he wants a big party, Mary or Martha? Do you really? I I mean, I don't think he's thinking big, elaborate spread. I, I think he's thinking small, calm, and quiet. 
Some of you came in this morning and you didn't even realize that our worship was simplified this morning. Where's the guitars? Where's all the stuff? Where's everything? Just simple. Just acoustic. It's okay. It doesn't have to be what you want it to be. Sometimes it's better to keep it simple. Sometimes it's best. The problem is, though, we want to do it our way. You ever get a gift from someone who is convinced it was the perfect gift for you? They obviously don't know you. They took the time and they spent the money and they give you this gift and you lie through your teeth. Oh, I love it. Perfect. And it wasn't. You'd have much preferred cash. (laughs) Or something simple. Sometimes we need to think of others and not just think of our pride. Perspective. Perspective on life and living. We learn one more thing that's so important. Say it with me. Take time and sit at your Savior's feet. Say it again. Take time and sit at your Savior's feet. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Only one thing was necessary. The most important thing. My time with the Lord. Did I spend time with the Lord today? Yeah, you ran here. Yeah, you cooked that. Yeah, you did that. Yeah, you paid bills. Yeah, you, wow, wow, I went to school. Wow, sport. Did you do the most important thing? Did you open up your Bible? Did you talk to God? Did you worship at his feet? Are you so focused on your calendar and all your checkboxes that you have forgotten the most important thing to do every single day? I need to spend time with my Savior. I need to sit at the feet of my Lord. Only one thing is necessary because the physical food does not compare to the spiritual food. It doesn't compare. Be careful that you're not too busy serving Jesus that you have no time to sit with Jesus. By the way, don't, don't skip services on Sunday because you're serving a couple different hours. I hear about that from time to time. Somebody who doesn't come in to worship. I'm like, what's your problem? You, you need to sit at his feet and listen and worship. See, if, if we're not taking time to sit with the Lord, let me tell you, life is quickly going to overwhelm and frustrate us. If we're not taking time to sit at the feet of the Lord, and some of you are there, life is overwhelming you and frustrating you. You need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Make the right choice. And that's what Jesus says. Mary has chosen the good part. Now, there is a time to be a Martha. There is a time to be a Mary. 
There's an old hymn written 1747 by Charles Wesley. Lo, I come with joy. Faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. There, there is a time to be a Martha. There is a time to be a Mary. And I want you to understand something about Mary, though. She made this choice so often to be at the feet of Jesus. Pretty much every time we see her in Scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus. Our passage today in Luke 10, 39, seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Now, don't miss this either. Culturally, a woman would hardly ever sit at the feet of a male teacher. Jesus loved to break those cultural barriers. Ladies, don't you ever sell yourself short when it comes to being a student of the word of God. Don't you ever sell yourself short. Dig into his word. Sit at Jesus' feet. Study. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning. We see her falling at the feet of Jesus, pouring out her heart in John 11 after the death of her brother. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. She fell at his feet, we're told. She sits at the feet of Jesus. She falls at the feet of Jesus. Probably the most beautiful. She worships at the feet of Jesus. John 12, 2. They made him a supper. Martha was serving. Lazarus was one reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, pure nard, anointed what? The feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This woman loved being at the feet of Jesus. To sit at his feet, to fall at his feet, and to worship at his feet. Be like Mary. Sit at his feet. Fall at his feet. Worship at his feet. And guess what you'll get? You'll get the Lord's approval. This is what Jesus said. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Don't be too quick to criticize those whom the Lord commends. Be the person whom the Lord commends. God is always for those who will spend time with him. Different perspective on life and living. Say them with me. My home is not my home. Don't let the pressure of preparation ruin the party. Choose essentials over extras and take time and sit at your Savior's feet.